Uh, if you take your Bibles, we're going to start in the Old Testament tonight, the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel and chapter number 22. 1 Samuel chapter number 22 is where we're going to be at. We're going to look at a lot of different portions of Scripture here, and I hope you look along with it. You probably looked at the title and thought, ooh, this is going to be interesting, or I don't have any of these kind of people in my life. Everybody's kind and nice to me. I don't have anyone that treats me badly in my life, so you're like, I'm good. But I want us to look at something tonight. We're going to kind of go back a little bit to the life of David. A couple of weeks ago, we were in 1 Samuel 25, and we looked a little bit about David uh, and Abigail, and we studied that a little bit. But before we get into this passage tonight in 1 Samuel 22, um, have you ever sometimes, maybe in watching TV or on the Internet and the news, different things, or even in person, you see, hear about people doing things, and they're just... They're not bad things, they're like terrible things. And you're like, how could somebody be so evil? How could somebody do something like that if somebody mistreats a, an animal or a child or, or does something really grotesque? You're like, how, how can that person, that not even sounds human for somebody to do something like that. If you're like me, I remember exactly where I was uh, on September 11th whenever the, the towers fell. And, and you think about how many people died and perished that day that woke up not expecting to be killed by a group of people that wanted just to see them die because they're Americans. And when you think of it, it says, what makes a person do that? And when you see things and you hear about things, uh, I know uh, we, you sometimes think to yourself, you hear about parents that how sometimes they mistreat children and, and you're like, Lord, why do you allow some people to have children that don't even know how to take care of them and some people can't have Children that would be great, you know, you kind of wonder when people act very inhumane, and how do you deal with that when someone just, you know, acts evil? You know, every now and then you look at somebody, and they're like that thorn in your flesh. It's that person at work. Is a person in your family, uh, maybe extended family, and it's like they just are evil to you. And you know, how do you deal with that? And when we're going to look at something tonight here, and I've got to give a little bit of history here just to kind of catch up. You're like, yeah, we know you're going to give history. And so, uh, anyhow... I could start reading the verses in 1 Samuel 22 in a moment, but I want to tell you just kind of where it's at. David is on the run, as he is pretty much in the entire Bible <laughs> when he's doing stuff. David's on the run. Saul's out for his life. Saul's trying to kill him. And in chapter 21, uh, David actually goes to the city of Nob, and he, there's a priest there named Ahimelech, and it's in verse number 1 of, of chapter 21. And David's on the run. He's by himself, and he's hungry, and he doesn't have a weapon and long story short, he goes to Ahimelech, the priest, and he asked him, is there any food you can give me? And they give him some of the showbread, and he gets to eat that, so he gets to nourish himself that way. He gets to rest a little bit, so Ahimelech and the priest kind of take care of David. And then David knows he's got to go back out, and he knows that Saul's waiting for him and all that stuff. And he says, do you have a sword? Is there anything I can use to help protect myself? And he said, well, the only sword we got here is the sword of Goliath, which you killed. So you killed him. It's the sword. If you want it, you can have it. So he gives him food. He gives him a sword. And he lets him go on his way. He gives him a little bit of a respite there. Well, the issue is there's a guy there in Nob that's kind of watching everything. And his name is Doeg, D-O-E-G. And it sounds like a pretty nerdy name, too, if you think about old Doeg. And so you got Doeg there, and he says he's a servant of Saul. That means he's loyal to Saul. He was one of those that wasn't for David. He was for Saul. And he actually got to see how Ahimelech and all the priests helped out David. 
And Doeg decides, you know what? I'm going to do something that we're going to look at here. It's pretty inhumane that he does, and we're going to see David's response to it. So in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 9. It says this, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, he's talking to Saul, he says, I saw the son of Jesse, just so you know, that's David, coming to Nob to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for, for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. And the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priest, that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. So just to give you an idea, Doeg goes back to Saul and says, Hey, uh, Ahimelech and all the priests, they've helped out your sworn enemy. They've helped out David. They fed him. They even gave him the sword of Goliath. And just want to let you know about it. He's basically a tattletale on the worst end of degrees if you want to look at it. And so Saul calls Ahimelech, his sons, men, women, and children, babies, everything. He calls all of them before him. And here's what happens in verse number 13. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? Then Elimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. And I'll stop there for a second. So basically, Saul said, you're against me. You're conspiring against me. Not only have you gave him food, not only have you gave him the sword, you've actually prayed to God and asked God to help him overthrow me. And Ahimelech's like, whoa, 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 I'm not against you. I'm not against you. And he says, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And he said, and by the way, and I appreciate the courage of Ahimelech here, he says, by the way, Saul, do you have a more faithful servant than David? Every time you've ever sent him out to a battle, every time you ever sent him out to do something, he's always done what you told him to do, and he's always done it in a righteous way, in a just way. And why do you want to kill him? He said, in fact, you even gave your daughter to be his, to be his wife. Why would you want to kill your son-in-law? You know, why would you want to do that? Now, some of you may say, well, I got ideas when I got sons-in-laws and in-laws and aunt-laws and all that stuff. But, you know, seriously, he says, why do you want to do all this? And... It says in verse 16, and the king said, look at, the, look at the king's response, Saul's response. Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priest of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when, they, when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priest of the Lord. Now I find that verse very interesting. Saul is so enraged, Saul is so full of evil, that Saul looks at his servants and says, I want you to kill all the priests, I want you to kill all their family, all their wives, their children, their mothers, father, kill all of them. And it says the soldiers standing around knew that that wasn't right. I mean, the soldiers standing around, mm -mm, we, we, we can't do this. This is evil, this is wrong. And I, I can't do that. But then look who pops back up in verse number 18. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priest, 
And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day four score and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword. Look at this. Both men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahiatib, named Abathar, escaped and fled unto David. And Abathar showed David the, that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, it kind of makes me think of this. Sometimes just how inhumane some people can be. You know, we all probably know of somebody, probably if not in a political figure or someone in society today, like how could they be so evil? But let's be honest, we deal with people day in and day out that act pretty evil. They act pretty much for themselves, and it's almost like they're not just in it for themselves. You ever met somebody in your life that they're not just happy to be selfish, they're happy with making you miserable, and that's their desire to make you miserable. Well, that's what's happening here on the the way here. Doeg turns around and kills 85 priests, and it's not enough that he kills the priest. He kills all the fathers, all the mothers, he kills all the babies. He kills all that. And Saul's just sitting there the whole time smiling. And he's the king, right? He's doing all of this. And you think to yourself, a lot of times you're like me. I read the Bible and I don't really put it in a reality. But to me, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how could somebody do that? And not only do that, but have pleasure in doing that. And... When you read that, he did that. He killed the animals and everything. But it says there's one person that got away, Abathar, and that is da- uh, that's Ahimelech's son. And he escapes, and he goes and finds David and tells David everything that happens. And when we see all this happen, and that uh, Abathar is the only one that escapes, to me, it's something pretty interesting that I see here in Scripture. Because he told David of everything that happened. And let's look in verse 22. This is, we see kind of David's response here a little bit. And David said unto Abathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Medemite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. You know, in my, you know, in, in reading about, I don't know how much you read or look a lot in the book of the life of David, the life of Saul, part of me, up until I learned this part, had a little bit of pity for Saul. Because you think about it, Saul's the first king, Saul's great, Saul disobeys God, and here comes David, David rises up, kills Goliath, Saul has slain his thousands, they say what David has killed his tens of thousands, every time that he tries to do anything, David just comes out smelling like a rose, Everything's good. But I tell you, when I read 1 Samuel 22, my pity for, for Saul goes away. I'm no longer feeling bad for him. Like, have you ever looked at somebody that you know is just they do wrong, and you're like, man, I just feel sorry for you. That the way that you are, why the way you are. Personally, in my mind, I have a hard time feeling sorry for Saul anymore. Because the way he is. And David here, I feel bad for him because I don't know if you noticed this. And don't miss the emotions of it. David felt guilty. David's sitting there going in verse number 22, towards the end he says, I have occasioned the death of all of them. David's sitting there and he sees Abathar coming up and Abathar tells him, and David's thinking to himself, all those men, women, and children died because I was hungry and because I needed a sword and I had somebody pray for me 
and here's this guy, this guy's father that's been killed. He did it for me. Because of the love he showed me, it cost him his life. And I, it's a different message in itself, but, you know, I can just see David's guilt for a moment. Have you ever felt guilty for something that you did and it caused someone else to pay the price? I mean, you didn't do anything wrong, but someone else paid for your good deeds. What does it say? No good deed goes left unpunished. You know, really. And someone else pays the price of that. And when we see this, and this is where we're going to jump in Scripture, um, to Psalm 52 in just a moment. If you're like me, I love Psalms. I love reading Psalms. But Psalms are not written in chronological order. They're not. And we're going to read part of Psalm 52 in a moment. And if you would go ahead and turn there to Psalm 52, if you would. Because Psalm 52 is David's response to whenever somebody, when Saul behaved this way. It's his response to this tragedy. It's his response when somebody does evil and does evil to him. Because if you're like me, I read the Psalms. And when I read them, I think, oh, that's, I wonder why it starts like that. Because some of the verses in Psalms, you know, you're kind of like, what's this go to? Psalm 52 is that day that David hears about what Saul did. So David that day, that evening, stops and he pins Psalm 52. And what helps me out, you say, what's the big deal in that? If I understand what's happening, I can understand the emotion, I can understand the context, I can understand what's being felt that time. Uh, I don't know about in your Bible, but I know in, in my Bible and some other Bibles, if you, right below where it says Psalm, sometimes it gives a little bit of information before you start there. Like in my Bible, it says this, Psalm 52, it says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, and said to him, David is coming to the house. And so right there it kind of tells me that. And that helps me to understand what's going on here. And so I want us to see a little bit of David's response when he realizes that Saul's gone too far. Okay, Psalm 52, verse 1. I'm going to read just a few of these verses here. This is David's response. Why boastest thou in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. The tongue, thy tongue devises mischief, like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness, Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of thy living, Selah. So when I read that, I totally understand what it means a lot better now than what I did if I never knew that. See, I can understand. when I, If you're like me and you read Psalms, and I'm like, and I just, hey, Psalm of the day, Psalm 52. Why boastest thou of evil, old man? I'm thinking, Wait, what's he talking about? But when I understand, now there's a lot of debate, so to speak, on this. Who is David talking about here? Is he talking about Doeg or is he talking about Saul? Really, I don't really know if you can say 100% sure either way. I kind of lean towards Saul because he says that you have riches, that you are wealthy, you are mighty. But that, it doesn't mean that. It could be Doeg because Doeg's a big servant, chief servant of that. But either way, but when I read this, at first glance, I think he might be pointing to Doeg, but I think he's pointing to Saul because, like he says, talking about the wrath and the jealousy and all those things. And, and there's something about verse 1. I don't know if you noticed this or not. 
But look at verse 1 again. It says, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief? Verse 1 suggests that Saul not only had a multitude of innocent people put to death, but he bragged about it. Now, you talk about doing the act is one thing. Bragging about it, it's not like you don't see any remorse in that. And so when I read this part here, I see that, man, it's just, Saul is just evil. And like I said, you know, we, you say, Phil, I'm not dealing with a King Saul in my life. Well, you may not be dealing with a King Saul today. But you might find a King Saul on your job. You might find a King Saul in your family. You might find a King Saul in your friendships, your relationships, different things like that. Hey, sometimes you just have people in life that do evil. And they do evil in spite of you. And it hurts you. And it, it just really just grates at you about why they do this. And verse 7 kind of emphasized something about the ego, I think, of Saul. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself. How? In his wickedness. I don't, don't miss that. He's saying this is how evil Saul is being right now. He gets his joy and his strength by the mischief he can do and the more wrong he can do. And, and like I said, I'm not trying to, if you, if you got somebody that, that's, a, that's a Saul to you, so to speak. But you know, like I said, some people, it almost like it, their joy is to cause pain. Their joy is to cause misery. And you're like, hey, I got that person in my life. I got those people in my life. I understand that. Because if we all think about it, there are people that put other people down. And that's how they live. That's what makes them feel better. And, and putting others down to build themselves up, in my opinion, is kind of the biggest sign of being insecure. You ever meet someone, they always put someone else down? All they're screaming is, I'm not secure about my own life. If someone badmouths you because you're trying to do righteous in your life, live godly in your life, all they're doing is your life is just showing through Christ the insecurities in their life and the inconsistencies in their life. So when someone's like, oh, you're going to church again tonight? Yeah, and all they're saying is, I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what they're saying, the insecurities in it. Oh, you're reading the Bible again? Oh, you're praying for your meal? Okay. Oh, you're doing that right there? You're going to take the high road? You know, you're not going to cuss now? You're not going to talk back now? You know, you're not going to do, oh, you're doing that? All they're doing by putting you down is just showing how insecure they are in their life. Now, to us, it doesn't scream insecurity. To us, it's they're trying to make us feel insecure. But that's how sometimes people get their joy in life. And a lot of times we won't run into somebody like a Saul that does it physically. But a lot of times uh, we allow the insecurity of others and how they put us down in life. I tell you, that really hurts us. And, and I'll just throw this out for you. You know, the, when we talked about this before in the book of James, I tell you, if you ever think, man, if there's a book of the Bible or a chapter of the Bible I read again, James chapter 3 is probably, a, if you're like me, because I know what kind of mouth is on this guy right here, I need to read James chapter 3 daily, but at least weekly. Because we really don't think about it. And I'll just take for a moment here just to stop on this. Just because we're not physically abusive to people, can I tell you that verbally abusive is just as bad, if not worse? You know why? Wounds heal. But that mental image and those words, it takes a long time to get over it. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I've not always been perfect when it comes to dealing with my children. And I can tell you today, my children probably can remember some of the good things I've done, but they can remember about 90% of the bad stuff that I've done. They can bring it back. 
You know, I'm like, I can, they can think of not everything that I've done for them. But they remember that time that Deb went crazy and started hollering at them or belittled them or something like that. They remember that. But what do we think? Oh, it's no big deal. Why? Because it's just words. And if we don't think about it, the Bible says what in James 3? Death and life are in the power of the fist. No, in the tongue. Death and life. You know, the words we say can discourage someone from going to church. It can discourage somebody. Hey, let's just be honest. It can discourage somebody from just keep on living. They need that encouragement. It can discourage somebody from being faithful. It can discourage somebody. It can drive somebody back to a sin that they're in. I tell you, we sometimes do not realize how much our words mean. And and, and let me just throw it out here this way, because I'm a joking guy. I don't know if any of y'all are jokatives, borderline. We like to call it sarcasm a little bit. You got to be interesting, and you got to kind of watch a little bit. If I'm trying to make a point to you, but I'm kind of laughing as I do it, you know that I'm being about 90% serious, but I'm trying to cover it up a little bit with a joke. And I need to remember that it's not funny. It's not part of it. And those things are so important. I tell you, there's so many things I wish I could go back on in a race that I've said. So many things I wish I could go back in a race. The things that I said that are going to be there, but those things that I said and those things like that are just so belittling to people and they don't glorify Christ. And like I said, a lot of times we just say, well, I'm not physically this way. Well, words mean a lot more, I believe, in that way. Since, by the way, if words weren't important, why do we get together to hear preaching? Why don't we just get together to work physically? If words don't really matter. We build our emotional soul, spiritual soul by words. We ought to do the same thing. The other way. It's getting really quiet in here, so I'm going to keep on going. Anyhow, okay, all right, so you're to the sheet now. That's a lot of information for a quick four points here, okay? But what happens here is this. In the midst of all this frustration with someone being evil, David gives us how to respond, because I love verse number 8. Verse number 8 doesn't look like very big at all. But if we look at verse 8, look what David says. He says, but, remember it ends verse 7, you've strengthened himself in weakness, but I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Remember, David's still on the run. He's still in the woods, but even on the run, not knowing where his next meal will come from, not knowing if he's going to turn a corner and there's going to be Saul or one of Saul's people. He says that he's like a tree flourishing in the house of God. And you know what he says? I'm in this, and even though I'm facing this unimaginable terror that you've just done, even the responding, we see a very interesting response to when someone does us evil. Number one, here's what it is. We jump to him tonight. How do we respond when people do evil? Number one is this, and we learn from David. David placed blame where it should have been. David placed blame where it should have been. Where did he place the blame? He placed it back on Saul. And he placed it on evil. He, he didn't place it on anybody else. He didn't say, well, you know, if, you know, if Himelech and the guys wouldn't have uh, given me any bread, I mean, I mean, they should have thought about that. You know, if they at least lied, I mean, they would have lived. I mean, if they wouldn't have done all this, you know. He put blame where blame needed to go. He says Saul is the one to blame and evil is what to blame. And I have in my notes this. Don't turn on others while you're emotional. You know what I mean? Like, you ever, like, something bad's happened at work, something bad's happened in your life, and you come home, 
someone says something and the person that says it to you is now going to be the human sacrifice and you look at them like, oh, had a great day, huh? Your day was good? Okay, you just ripped my head off. I, I don't know why. You know, you did that. We all do it. We all do it. We always say that. We're always the shortest with the people we love the most. We're always the most impatient and the most in, uh, least gracious with those people. And we have to remember when we're emotional, we don't turn on those other people around us. Don't do that. Remember who is to blame and let them be it. Because like I said in this passage here in Psalm 52, uh, when he talks about this, he, he says in verse number 2 of Psalm 52, he says, Thy tongue devises mischief like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than speaking and then to speak righteousness. He said, it's all on you, Saul. It's your fault. Don't you hate paying for the sins of other people? <laughs> I mean, really, don't you? I mean, don't you hate it that somebody has a bad day, a bad week, bad month, and you just happen to prick the balloon and it doesn't leak out. It blows up on you. And you know what we have to remember sometimes is David's like, uh-uh. I'm not going to unload on anybody other than who is to blame. I'm going to blame Saul for this. And the other verse I have here that I think is important with that is over in the New Testament, Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter 8. And talking about place blame where the blame should go or to whom the blame is due. Mark chapter number 8. And in verse number 31, okay, Jesus is sitting with his disciples, okay? So Mark eight thirty one, and Jesus it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now just picture this for a moment. Jesus loves his disciples, you know, and he's talking to him, and he says, all right, I've got to let these guys know the reason I'm here. I'm about to be betrayed. I'm about to be taken, and that's my purpose for coming. My purpose is to be killed. My purpose is to die. That's my purpose. And he starts telling them that, and here's good old Peter, who we love. And Peter does it in front of the disciples. He rebukes Jesus. Wrap your brain around that just for a moment, all right? Peter is rebuking Jesus. To me, I'm like, Peter, you're stupid. You know, this is what I mean, that's what I think. But you know why Peter's doing that? Because he doesn't like what he heard. It's not that he doesn't like Jesus. And he starts rebuking him. He's like, no, you're not going to die. No, you're not, this is not going to happen. He starts arguing with Jesus. And look what Jesus' response is to Peter telling him, no, you're not going to accomplish what you come to do. Verse 33. But when he, being Jesus, turned about and looked on his disciples, that means he made sure the disciples were listening. It says this, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now, when you think about that, I'm coming to die. Peter's like, no, you're not. You're not going to die. And you think about he's being corrected. Has someone ever corrected you in public in front of other people? And you're actually right and they're wrong, but they're correcting you in front of other people? What is the natural desire? Justification. I'm going to put you in your place and I'm going to make sure that the whole world hears it or at least as many people that heard it when you were wrong and dumb. And Jesus stops. And he makes sure every one of his disciples is looking. He doesn't say, 
get thee behind me, Peter. Because he knows it's really not Peter. The true blame is Satan. Satan's the one feeding Peter, saying, get in the way. If you can get in the way, get in the way of what Jesus is supposed to do. Get in the way. And I love how Jesus doesn't say, get thee behind me, Peter. He said, no, I'm going to put blame where blame is. It's not you, Peter. It's Satan. And sometimes we blame people for certain things that have no reason to accept the blame. It's just evil. It's just Satan. It's the influences in their life. And that is the right way to do it. Because like I'm telling you, if I was, and kind of like this. Can you imagine, which hopefully you can't. Uh, Sunday morning, I'm, I'm up preaching. And as I'm preaching, someone says, hey, Brother Phil, i got to tell you something. That's just wrong. I mean, Phil, that is wrong. That's not what that verse means. You are, man, you are way off. In fact, you don't even need to keep talking. And you can see me then. I really don't know how to respond to that. They didn't give me a class in Bible college on how to deal with that, okay? I'm finding out in the ministry they didn't give you a lot of stuff in classes how to deal with certain things. But can you imagine? That's the setting. And can you see me saying, looking and saying, Sir, I appreciate that, or ma'am, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to continue telling you what the Bible says here and get thee behind me, Satan. By the way, if I say get thee behind me, Satan, whoever it is I said it to is probably not going to look at me and smile anyways. It's probably going to get worse. But that's putting it in a reality. By the way, don't get any funny ideas about Sunday, okay, or anything you want to I got an idea. You know, so, but anyways. Yeah. <laughs> But you see, how did David respond to evil that was done? Number one, he placed blame where it should have been. Number two is that, talking about David, he reminded himself that God will repay. He reminded himself that God will repay or God will repay the evil. Back there in Psalm 52, if you see it there in Psalm 52, look what it says in verse number five. Okay, Psalm 52, verse 5, talking about God himself will repay evil. It said, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. It's pretty strong. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living Selah. That does not sound very promising. But what I love is this. Now, this is a part that me and you fail on a lot. The first word there, God. You know what I say? I will destroy you. I will put you in your place. I will justify myself. I will do that. And that's what we do. Because here's the thing. In the moment, it's hard to let God take care of it. But if you've ever allowed God to take care of it, man, he does a lot better job than me. (laughs) He does so much better than I do in that. And he just kind of reminded himself that God will repay the evil. And here's what David's saying. He's saying, you know what? God's going to take care of you. I mean, if I'm David and all these people got killed because of me, I'd almost send a message back with Abathar saying, hey, Saul, me and you out in the valley of Elah. I I mean, I killed Goliath. I'm pretty sure I can take care of you too. Let's go ahead and just end this thing. And that's probably what I would have done. But he doesn't. He says, God shall. And you notice that word shall? Anywhere time you read the word shall in the Bible, that means it's a definite, it will happen, it's in concrete. It doesn't say might, but God shall. And it kind of goes along with Romans. If you like to look there, Romans chapter number 12, talking about how 
the Lord and how God will repay. That David, David reminds himself that God will repay evil. Romans chapter 12, verse number 17, says this. Romans 12, 17. It says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Now, if it stopped there, it's almost bad enough pill to swallow. He's saying that means if someone does you evil, don't do evil back to them. That would have been fine. But he goes on to say, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 18 is a pretty interesting verse, and it's something we need to understand. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. That lets me know something. Some people, it's not possible. He said, oh, Brother Phil, I'm just supposed to take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. You got a real problem, verse number 18 of Romans 12. Sometimes it's not possible. Verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now he goes on, verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. You're like, yeah, I'll feed him arsenic. And it says, If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now all of us want that job, right? Can, can I be the whole? Can I be the coal heaper? Can I be that guy? It's not saying you get to do that. It's saying that your kindness is going to eat at them. Because let's be honest, sometimes people do you evil just because they want you to go to the place that they are. They know their insecurity, so they need you to go down there too. And he says, but you be friendly to them. You love them. You show Christ. And then verse 21, it says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Hey, there's something important in that verse that you understand. It's saying you can do one of two things. You can do nothing and let evil overcome you like a wave going over. You can stand there and get so angry and so upset and let evil overcome you. Or you can overcome evil. That's an action that you do with what? Doing good. Let's just be honest. If we all sat here tonight and think about somebody that did us wrong and we just thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, what's it going to do? It's going to eat at us. And it's going to eventually what? Overcome us. But he says the only way that we can get past it, the only way we can get past the bitterness, the only way we can get past the hurt, the betrayal, is to not sit there and be overcome with it like a wave, but to overcome it with action by doing good to that person or doing good to other people. That's the only way to overcome it. And so it's interesting how it talks about it there that you, you can do that. And so as we look wrap up number two, I don't know if you noticed this, but I said David reminded himself that God will repay evil. You know what that means? Sometimes I need to remind myself that God will do what he said he'll do. You say, oh, Brother Phil, I know what God promises in Scripture. Well, if you're like me, I don't always live like I know God's promises in Scripture. I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded what God will do. Number three, we see this, and we'll go back to Psalm 52. Another way David responded to evil is number, two, number three, excuse me, is that he placed his hope solely in God. A lot of us don't have a problem placing our hope in God. But what about placing your hope solely or only in God? Like you're the only one I'm trusting in. Lord, I'm trusting in you. And my quick wit to get back at them. Lord, I'm trusting in you. And I'm trusting in this person right over here to take care of me and stand for me. But no, David placed all of his hope in God. Look in verse number 9. He says this in Psalm 52. I will praise thee forever. Now remember, 
David has just had this evil done, and he feels guilt about it, that he starts changing. And David stops and says, I'm going to praise you, God, forever. You know why he can say that? You know why he can say, I can praise you in the storm? I can praise you in whatever's going on in my life? Because I'm trusting in you solely. I'm not trusting in me. I'm not trusting. A lot of us do this. Let's just be honest. We trust in ourselves till we know we can't do it. Then we want to kick in. Okay, God, I'm going to trust in you now. God, I got it up to this point right here. But then when it's coming off the hinges and I'm going nuts or it's overwhelming me, then I'm going to kick into trusting God. When God's saying, trust in me with the little things the whole way. If you trust in me with everything, it doesn't matter if it's small or big, you'll be able to praise me. But when you don't trust me with everything, you're going to have a hard time praising God. You're going to have a hard time doing it. I'm going to have a hard time doing it. But he placed his hope completely or solely in God. There's a great psalm if you want to talk about hoping in God. It's Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is one of my favorite psalms. Um, Y'all know the song that we sing sometimes, As the deer panteth for the water. We get that out of Psalm 42, verse 1. And it says here in Psalm 42, verse 1, As the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. It says, verse 2, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Uh, You can go on to see in verse number 5, Okay, this is David speaking again. He says, why art thou cast down on my soul and why art thou disquieted in me? Look at the next few words. I have underlined my Bible. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. He's saying, why am I so cast down? Why am I so angry? Why am I so overwhelmed? Well, what's going on? He's telling himself, hope in God. Look in verse number uh, 10. He says, as with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Verse 11, why art thou cast down on my soul, and why thou dost quiet within me? Hope thou in God. He keeps telling himself, this is where my hope is. My hope has to be in God. It cannot be in anything else counting himself. And then lastly, number four, David reminded himself that God is good. I won't ask you to, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you ever sometimes wondered... I mean, let's just be honest. How can you be a good God if you allow... I mean, I've done that before. God, how can you be good and allow this to happen? God, how can you... You know what I mean? You know, it's kind of like I told you about the Twin Towers things. I remember several years ago was the Oklahoma City bombing. That's kind of one of the first things that happened. And then you remember it's a couple years ago and still going on a little bit today with the ISIS and those killing Christians and killing men and killing children. And we, it's hard for us to fathom that because that's not here. It, it may be here. I don't know. But it's not here like it is in other places. You know, I got to spend some time with my sister and, and brother-in-law last Monday through Wednesday. And for them to tell me some of the stories of the people in their church you know, they went for a German-speaking church, and they have a German-speaking church service at 10, and 11 o'clock they have an international service, and all that is is ISIS refugees, these people that have had to leave and flee from their countries. And, you know, and, and I know I've probably shared this with you, you know, the one family, the, the two brothers from Cameroon, and they said that the, the mom and dad, they were older teenagers, I think they're about 18 years old, and said that uh, ISIS came to their village because they heard a missionary come there. And he says, who here, uh, who here is a believer who is a follower of Christ? And it says that their, their mom and dad went out there. They took them and chopped their head off, killed them right in front of them. Which, by the way, lets me know this. We don't understand persecution. We don't understand, to be honest with you, New Testament Christianity, to be honest with you. 
We think of how much we sacrifice. We come to church three times a week. We think that's sacrifice. Let's just be honest. But anyhow, that's a total different sermon. But these guys watched their parents be sacrificed and escape. They said they made it to Morocco. In Morocco, they made it to Morocco with their four uh, other brothers. There were six brothers total. And four brothers died there in Morocco by ISIS people. They were the only two to actually make it to Germany. And I'm thinking to myself, you have two guys that have lost everything. I mean, I, if, if you're me, if I'm them, I'm bitter at God. I'm bitter at everything. And me and you, if someone cuts us off in traffic, our day's toast. Our kids give us a hard day, our day's toast. And we think all this is evil. And I'm telling you, this is me. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself. And we think all our big commitments that we have to do for God. We have no idea. No idea. And when there's a doegs in our life and there's souls in our life. And, and we have to sometimes remind ourselves in the midst of the evil. God is good. And they showed me a video like about a month ago. Those two brothers learned German. And they sang a special in German. I won't tell you it sounded really good. Okay. And they're like, they can't sing worth a flip. But it was, he said, I sat there and cried listening to these guys sing, Jesus paid it all in German, knowing that a year ago they lost everything. And, you know, it's just to me it's so convicting because we sometimes just need to remind ourselves when people do us evil, and God's good. We serve a good God. And, you know, we won't go there. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, really talk about the goodness of God. I mean, we always run to Job. We understand that. But, you know, if you really think about it, you're going to face people in your life, and you're going to face people every day that do you evil, even those you love. But how do you respond to them? Do you respond in putting blame where blame goes? Sometimes it's just blaming the evil, not blaming the person. Let's just be honest, because sometimes Satan uses people, even Christian people. And we need to remind ourselves that God will repay the evil. We need to also place our hope solely in Christ, not in ourselves or other things or people. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that God is good. He really is a good God. So I appreciate you listening tonight, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Let's stand together, and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank you for the time we could just spend in your word. And Lord, I pray you'd forgive me if I said anything I shouldn't say, but Lord, I just am so convicted in my own life of how weak I am spiritually. Lord, help me to have my eyes solely on you, not on the bad that others do. Lord, help my faith to be in you solely, my trust to be in you. Lord, help me to remind myself daily and probably several times a day just that, that you're keeping score. And that you're good. And Lord, you love people, you don't love their sin. And help us, Lord, to remember that, to love the sinner, but hate the sin. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for David being an example to us. Lord, may we all respond in a way that pleases you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight.